when they're talking about the glove. Um, apparently, OJ's defense team um, made him stop taking his arthritis medicine so that his joints would puff up. So that the glove would be too small. Natalie and I once got chased. Chased I know. We got chased. Um, Could each one of you introduce your name, your personal pronouns, grade, and maybe a little bit about what you've been doing during quarantine? Um, My name is Natalie Chen. My PGPs are she, her, hers. Um, I'm an upper. And during quarantine, I've mostly just been staying home like everyone else. And I've been re-entering my reading obsession. So I've reread all the Harry Potter and Percy Jackson books. I'm like illiterate till the age of 12. So I never really read those books. Um, but that's just me. I'm Lulu Sloss. I am an upper. Uh, I'm from New York City. My PGP GPs are she, her, hers. And over quarantine, I have been working in a restaurant, a totally socially distanced restaurant, but I've been a hostess and a bus girl and so I've been making bank and also I've been watching a lot of movies. I got a um, Criterion account and so I've been watching a lot of old foreign films. Yeah. Okay. This is our actually like our first true crime conversation episode on the podcast so take it away. Um, What what exactly is the case of OJ Simpson? Um, OJ Simpson was or Yeah, he was a football player who was an international celebrity, and he was really good at marketing and really good at football and was an icon in America. And um, one, and he was married to this woman whose name was Nicole Brown Simpson, or it was Nicole Brown, but then they got married. And um, then but they had a really terrible marriage or it was good for like the first few years, but then there were a lot of cases of spousal beater battery and a lot of domestic abuse and they got divorced. And one day, um, OJ's ex-wife, Nicole went to a restaurant called Mezzaluna with her mom and her sister. And they got back. This was June 12th, 1994. And they got back and um, they realized that her mom had left her glasses. And so one of the waiters at the restaurant, whose name was Ron Goldman, who she was seen with, um, Nicole was seen with a few times before. So they could have had a romantic um, relationship with each other, but it was never confirmed. Um, Went to her house and dropped off the glasses. And um, then at about like 1 a.m. or about like 12, this was at like 10 because there were um, recordings of a dog barking at that time, um, Nicole's dog. And then at like 12, the um, neighbors of Nicole went to her house and found that she had been murdered with a knife and had been repeatedly slashed and was in pool was and Ron Goldman was also murdered and there were pools of blood around them 
so there was a glove at the crime scene and there was a glove and a and a hat in OJ's car that contained traces of Nicole's blood and Ron Goldman's blood and the gloves were matching and so that night OJ was supposed to take a plane from LA where he was living to Chicago and there was a limo driver at his house who was ready to like take him to the airport and apparently or not apparently the story goes or these are facts um he buzzed a few times and OJ wasn't there and then the limo the limousine driver looked over and saw a tall shadowy figure around six foot four which was OJ's height um and then this shadowy figure disappeared and then the next time he rang the doorbell it was open like there was somebody up there um and that night oj flew to um chicago and was not questioned until the next day um so so far about this case it has a very specific timeline do you guys know how exactly like the time the times were determined because i mean how I can't even remember what time I like wake up or stuff. So how how are how is the timeline being fit together? It's all kind of approximate because there was like the dog barking at ten, and there was the time of the call to Ron Goldman, and the time he was seen driving into her house, and then the exact time that the um, that the neighbors found out. So it's all just like everybody piecing together their stories and the detectives sort of devising which times everything would make sense. I don't know much about the O.J. Simpson case, but I heard that the car chase was a pretty big deal. Could you explain the details of the car chase? The car chase was his um, white Ford Bronco, and it basically was such a big deal that it interrupted the coverage of the NBA Finals. In so like everyone was watching, and then it ended at his house, and then that's when the police um, got to him, and he was basically um, in the backseat. He had a gun, and he was threatening to shoot himself. Right? Yeah, and so he was pretty frantic during that car chase, and then it was very highly publicized. I think everyone around the world was watching it. Yeah, I also heard like that he had like what seemed to be a suicide note or something mm-hmm. like that. Yeah. Yeah, and he was saying a lot of things like I loved her so much. It couldn't I couldn't have done it. I'm so like things about how sad he was that she died and mm-hmm. um nothing about admitting or anything. <laughs> and that was on, I think, June 17th, 1994. It was watched by approximately like 95 million people. No, no, not the car chase. That was no. the, um, the verdict okay. reading. And speaking of the verdict, as much as there's like evidence for the murder, I think the more interesting part was how this played out in court. Would you guys like to elaborate what happened on in court? Yeah, so basically OJ's defense team was called the Dream Team, and it was at first led by this lawyer named Robert Shapiro, but then um, he kind of got, like, sidelined as the lead 
lawyer in the case by Johnny Cochran. And um, I mean, famously in the dream team was Robert Kardashian. Um, so basically they- Wait, con- like, like related to the Kardashians? Yeah, like Kim Kardashian's father. Oh, um, nice. Yeah. Nick, um, Nicole Brown Simpson was actually like a really good friend of Kris Jenner's. Against them was the lead lawyer, Marsha Clark. Um, mm-hmm. But basically Johnny Cochran built his case because um, based around sort of the racial aspect of the killing because um, the police officers that are first arrived on scene had a past of being like there's um, they were caught on video you know being really racist saying racial slurs and so they basically kind of built a racial like came at it from a racial angle by saying that um, because these officers were like known racist like OJ was being targeted because of his race. Yeah, um, I was actually, there's a really good, if you're wondering about more, there's a really good eight-hour documentary that I watched one night with my dad once, and they say some, they're talking about, when they're talking about the glove, um, apparently OJ's defense team um, made him stop taking his arthritis medicine so that his joints would puff up, so that the glove would be too small. Mm-hmm. And um, another thing that I heard that was very interesting, these are just weird little tidbits that I heard from the documentary, is that um, Johnny Cochran went to OJ's house with him before um, before the jury, and the jury we'll talk about later because there's a lot of interesting stuff about the jury, but before the jury was um, to make its decision, Johnny Cochran took them to OJ's house, but before they got to OJ's house, they, um, Johnny Cochran took all of the, all of OJ's photos with, um, his white friends off of the walls and replaced them with all of the photos of him with other, like, black celebrities, even though OJ, OJ said some things that were not very, like, yeah, he said his famous thing was, like, I'm not black, I'm OJ, Mm -hmm. but, But, But then Johnny Cochran sort of painted him as a more, like, black figure so that um, more of the community um, that they were trying to um, reach would be more susceptible of um, OJ's case. Mm. And also, um, the time of the OJ case was very near the time of the Rodney King verdict. And the Rodney Mm -hmm. King verdict was um, a... I don't know that much about it, but it was like a really um, bad police brutality case of a black man who was not really doing anything, who then was like beaten brutally. Mm -hmm. And that um, released a lot of outrage and like riots and protests, uh, not Mm -hmm. so different than um, the responses to a lot of the police brutality today, which is so sad that it's still something that we're dealing with. Yeah. So then it was, like, a lot of, um, people being, like, another false accusation of a Black man, and so Mm -hmm. Johnny Cochran and their team sort of took that and made it a nationwide issue. And for murders, you have to have means, a motive, and opportunity. What was do you think OJ's motive? Because 
I don't really know enough about the case to like find out the motive, but you have to have a motive of some sort. So what was his? No, yeah, I was watching this documentary. It was kind of from 1996 and it was kind of outdated and ugh, but they were like, um, Nicole Brown Simpson went wild. She was seen in every club with every man. And it was like, it was kind of misogynistic, but they were talking about how she had developed a life of her own in the LA social scene and that it made OJ really upset because mm-hmm. he was, he was, um, he was very upset when she was seen with other men. And the fact that she could have been um, dating Ron Goldman at the time, and the fact that he was at her house, and a lot of things like that sort of seemed like they could be motives for OJ to um, kill her. But uh, yeah, and also another thing that's very important for murder cases is he didn't have an alibi. He was last seen at like in a McDonald's two hours before. And it was like he literally like the the amount of time that the murder took, he had no other place where he could have been proven to be. I feel like in every crime show I watch though, like the people without the alibi are the ones who are like innocent because like the people who like actually plan out the murders, they like create an alibi. So like they're able to like, you know. Well, yeah, but the thing about OJ is that everywhere he goes, he is seen. And sure, he could have been like, oh, I was at my house resting. But if he was in public anywhere, everybody would have been like, oh my God, OJ. And then there would have been news and paparazzi because he was one of the most famous men in the world at that time. How planned out was this murder? Because it seems pretty last minute. Not that I have experience in that area, but... (laughs) Yeah, um, I don't know. I I don't think it was... Like, OJ, I don't think really carefully planned it out. I think he kind of... Like, if he did it, he, he really relied... It was more, like, emotionally charged crime so like he didn't meticulously plan it out like people on tv or like people in real life actually do but um but I mean even though he he had to know that if he had murdered her he would be under like intense public scrutiny like he was very well connected he had like Robert Kardashian was one of his best friends he had a lot of powerful people backing him up and he had like a really large fan base that would stand by him through anything so yeah and I in the documentary I was watching about the forensics of it um apparently a lot of the slashes that they found on Nicole and Ron were seen as like acts that are usually seen in very passionate murders and I think that if if OJ did it we don't know um and if he wanted nobody to notice then he probably would have chosen a completely different method of murder. And another thing that's really interesting is um, the jury. Because if you're on the jury, you can't have like any prior connection to mm-hmm. OJ or any any involvement in any of like the um, people in the case, cases live. And so they, each side wanted to build their jury 
based on like the target demographic they were targeting. So like the people persecuting OJ wanted like mostly white jury, the people defending OJ wanted like mostly black jury. And so they just kept on like finding and digging for evidence that people on the jury were like unfit to serve on the jury. So they would be dismissed and replaced by other people. And so it was a very long, very long process. And then also in the TV show, it shows like the actual jury's conversations. And it was just very interesting to see kind of like the racial divide as they're all trying to like figure out if OJ actually, or like whether, what to believe the DNA evidence or like, it's easy to say, oh, all of this DNA evidence pointed to OJ. There's like past history of abuse. But then there is also like these officers that arrived on the scene first were like very racist. And so it is hard to say like who, which it's hard to like know which side to believe because both sides did build a very good case. Wasn't there also more evidence that wasn't included, like the shoes? Let me tell you about the shoes. I forget what um, brand they were, but they were some famous brand that had a very specific bottom of the shoe. And that was the footprint that was in blood. It was not tampered with, or maybe it was, it was, to this day, we know it as not tampered with. And OJ, and they asked OJ, have you ever owned a pair of these shoes? And he was like, no, I've not. But then in an old picture that was found of OJ in Buffalo doing something with his, with a football team, I don't know, uh, with his football team, because he played for them. And he was seen wearing those shoes. And then OJ was like, no, 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 that photo has been tampered with. But then they found a photo that was like from the same day of him wearing the shoes that was published in a newspaper with the shoes. And then they even like his foot was raised a little. So they looked underneath and saw that it was the exact same print as the one with the glove with the blood on it. So then they were like, it was obviously you, OJ. And then the the jury and the judge voted him guilty of that. And so he never actually went to jail and they didn't reopen the case or they never, he never actually went to jail for the murder, but he was sued for millions of dollars that was given to Ron Goldman's family. And was he able to pay that? Because I know back then I wouldn't assume that football players were paid as much as they are today. So was he able to pay that? Uh, yes, because OJ was also um, a very public figure, and so he had a very famous um, Hertz, uh, you know, the car brand. He had very famous commercials of them where it was him running through an airport, and then everybody would be like, go, OJ, go, and it was like there was a little old lady, and he made so much money from those because he ran them. They ran it for years and years, and he did ads for everything. He was an international figure. Yeah. I mean, it is so interesting. Like, the fact that he actually, like, the fact that they built such a, like, when you look at the case, it seems obvious. Like, I know that this is an extreme, but, like, when you look at the facts without digging into it, it's like, oh, yeah, it's OJ who did it. But then you look into it, and there are so many discrepancies, and the way that the lawyers on OJ's defense team just 
latched on to every single one of them and exploded it and then he was acquitted like thank you so much for the conversation about oj now we'd like to learn a little bit more about you um do you guys listen to any like true crime podcasts by chance yes slow burn i slow love burn. it what, what's it yeah. about um okay so there were a few seasons um seasons of, yeah one of them is um about Bill Clinton and Monica Lewinsky. Mm-hmm. And one of them is, I've watched, I've listened to all of them in the car with my dad, which I must admit has created some awkward moments. But, um, being the whole Bill Clinton case. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's not true crime, though. No, no, but then there it count ones, as... Yeah, it does. Cause it's it just was weird like, cases. No, but also he lied under oath. So Ooh. it is crime. Oh. And then there's also um, Richard Nixon, which mm-hmm. is also a crime, and because of Watergate. And yeah. then there was one about Tupac and Biggie, and that one's my favorite. It is so good. It is, mwah. I listen to it while um, I don't listen to true crime podcasts, but I do listen to this podcast um, about The Office. So. The, the television show? Yeah. Is it the one with the actress who plays Pam? Yeah, I listened to that one. Well, I don't really listen to it anymore, but I listened to it like a while ago to fall asleep. Mm-hmm. Want to know the closest thing to murder I've experienced? Of course, yes. So, Dive into I, it. I don't know if you know my roommate who's from Andover, Will C2. And like, Will C2. He, oh, I thought you said someone else. He had this fake account and like fake Instagram account where he sold like toys. Toys like toys, toys or no, 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 just regular children's toys. (laughs) And he like, I messaged him. No, no. (laughs) Um, how about like cars? Okay, let's just say like toy cars. And I offered to buy one, and I said I wanted it real quick. And he's like, rather than saying like, no, this is a fake account, he said. Sure, what's your credit card account? Credit card number. So I like found a credit card generator and like I'm I gave him the details and I gave I even gave him the expiration date, which is like really like specific. And then he like responded back and he said, sure, the transaction will be very smooth. And so I I kept pestering him about it and I kept like trying to video call him. And like the next day I like called all of his like friends and asked him about asked them about it. And then like, I was under this fake name, right? I was under O'Hare Robin, Robin O'Hare. And then all of a sudden they just looked my name up in Massachusetts. And apparently he's like a wanted criminal. (laughs) Oh my God. (laughs) And like, and then I put my address as like, cause we lived in a house. I put it as across the street from a house. And then he got so scared and like, And then I had this. I had to break the news. Uh-oh. Like, imagine if he actually lived in Andover, like Robin O'Hare. Wait, he, what did he do for his crime? It was it was some murder. <laughs> oh, <laughs> just some murder. Natalie and I once got chased. Chased. I know. By, we got like, chased. Like we a person. Chased. Right in front of Bertha Bailey House. No, we didn't. Not in front of Bertha. But Bailey. who was it? Oh wait, no. What is it? Front house. Not in front of French house. In yeah. the parking lot of 
the Andover Inn. Which we is were walking, we were walking back to Hale. Wasn't we were a white van? No, but it was. I legitimately thought I was going to die. Me too. We hid behind a corner of a building outside of Stearns, and and we banged on the door, and then they let us in, and um, and they were like, all the guys were like, "What the? Why are you freshman girls?" And then, um, it was really scary because we, I think we were actually being chased. So like we were. Wait, but we was it walking. a car? Was it a person? It was a person, it was a person and we oh, were walking. Oh, no, that's just even scarier. Oh, wait, that reminds me of something. We were walking. There was someone walking behind us, and we were like, oh, my God, there's someone walking behind us. And then we started running. And then I think he started they running. They yeah. started running. And then we we thought we were going to die, and we went to the outside, like the side door of Stearns, and we banged on the door. We called Paps. So like Paps didn't pick up. Paps didn't do anything. And to drive us from Stearns. To was this before sign in? Yeah. Yeah, it was like eleven twenty-five. But then we got back after sign in, and then wait at night. The house, but yeah, that yeah. just makes it so much scarier. Exactly. This and actually. You know that thing where, like, the horror movie trope that you're, like, hiding behind the corner and then someone, like, pops out? Uh-huh. Oh, yeah. Like, we thought that was going to happen. Yeah, we actually, we were actually so scared. That kind of reminds me, like, this is my closest experience to true crime. But I used to go to Sunday school every Sunday. Well, at a Christian site. No, i But, um, and the night before, I had actually had a dream of this weird old guy named, like, Tom Witchy. His name was Tom Witchy. And then I went to Sunday school the next day. And um, I have like a very old Sunday school teacher. This was when I was like 10. I had a very old Sunday school teacher. And she's, she's kind of a worrywart. But there was this guy, once we had gotten into our Sunday school, who started banging on the window. He looked exactly like the guy from my dream. And he said, hi, I'm Tom Witchy. I'm looking for the old pastor who used to go here. The old pastor, I think, was dead. So that was really creepy. And he thought it was like we were in the 80s. So, and the weird thing is, whenever I used to live in a town in California called Palos Reyes, or that's where my church was, whenever I would look out my car window at a specific bus stop, I could see him. Like he was there. But nobody recalled him being there in the first place. So it was kind of creepy. Well, thank you so much, Lulu and Natalie, for being on the show and explaining the OJ case to us. Thank you. This has been so fun. I know, it's so fun. Love the Light Bulb Podcast.